Masechet Ketuvot, Daf Chavdalet, we begin with the Mishnah on the bottom of the previous Daf. Vechen Shene Anashim, we were just talking about two women that testify about each other, and now we're going to bring another halacha analogy of two men who testify about each other. Ze Omer Kohen Ani, Ze Omer Kohen Ani, Enan Neemanin. If they each testify only about themselves to say, I am a Kohen, then they are not believed, it's not good enough. But if they testify about each other, that is permitted. That is the opinion of Tanakama. So you see, according to Tanakama, one witness is sufficient to deem someone a Kohen. Uh, for all, all the all the different halachot that will then apply to the kohen, uh, but if but for himself, if someone says I am a kohen, so then a, a person can always incur prohibitions upon himself. So we will believe that person for the prohibitions of being a kohen, not being able to marry a divorcee, and so on, but not for the uh, uh, not for the uh, permissions that he can now eat teruma or do berkat uh, koanim or get a first aliyah. Uh, so for the uh, for the for the uh, positive things, we do not believe him. Okay, so according to Tanakama, we believe one witness about someone else, but not about himself. A chidush here is that even though there's two people testifying about each other, and you might think, well, maybe they're in in collusion. This is all I'll kosher you if you kosher me. So this is no, we don't believe, we don't worry about that. And we do believe them. Okay, that's the first opinion. But we're going to see three more. Rabbi Yudamed and Malin Kionalpi Edechad. Rabbi says, no, you cannot use one witness at all, even if it's a different person. You need two witnesses to come and say, I know this person's lineage, and they are a Kohen. Says, I partially agree with that you need two witnesses, but only if there's someone that challenges, um, then you need two. But if there's if there's no challenge, then one is sufficient. So one would come and say he's a kohen. If nobody uh, nobody says anything, then we will trust. If someone says no, he's not, then you got to bring two. Rashbag says you can in fact use one, which sounds a lot like Tanakama. All right, so those are the, are the four, maybe he would say, even if, uh, um, uh, or only if, they, they comes independently, not if they testify about each other. Okay, but the Gemara will clarify the differences between each of these opinions. Uh, but first, the, before the Gemara analyzes this Mishnah, it wants to do something very interesting and go back over the last few Mishnayot since the, since the beginning of the Pedic, to wonder why we need each and every one of them. What they, a lot of them, the first four here have in common is that they're all applications of and so why do we need all of these? And then they'll go on and ask why we need these last two. Let's just review the cases that we're talking about. Uh, case number one was someone says, this was your father's field, but I bought it. So he didn't have to admit there was, that the field ever belonged to your father. Therefore, we believe him when he says, I bought it and it's his. The witness says, it's my signature, but I signed under duress. So we didn't know it was a signature to begin with. He could have just said, oh, not my signature. So therefore, we believe him. Uh, if some woman says, I was married, but I was divorced, we believe her. If a woman says, I was captive, but I am pure, I was not violated, we also believe her. So these are all, let's say why, let's see why we need each of them. And then we'll see about the two women taking captive to test by each other and about two men 
saying they are Kohanim testifying about each other. So let's begin. If we had the first case where the Yoshua says, I would agree in Amigo if it's about your, the field belonged to your father, but I bought it. Because in that case, there's significant, uh, uh, something financially significant. By the second I say, this field did belong to your father, I am potentially losing my claim to the field. And nobody would do that unless they were telling the truth about the next part, uh, about telling, telling the truth, and therefore believe the next part that, and I bought it. Uh, so, you know, the person here is uh, 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 putting him in, into significant financial uh, 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 risk. Uh, but the witnesses, they're testifying about someone else. So there's no financial significance for them, right, uh, uh, to say, this is my signature. Yeah, it is my signature. So if it is and it's a valid, then A will have to pay, pay B. Uh, but if not, they won't have to pay. But the witnesses don't have, lose anything fi- financially. Uh, so we may say, that there's more reason to believe the guy who make who, who incurs himself financial loss when he says the pesha uh, asad part. So now we need the second one to say even if they're external witnesses and they have no loss in saying that it is our witness, it is our our um our, uh, uh, signature. We still believe them. Uh, and on the other hand, we need, well, so not, why not just have the second one and not the first? Because if we had the second one, so there we do believe when he says, so we'll believe that he teared, that it was under duress, because why would he lie? He doesn't get anything personally out of it. So more reason to believe the witness. But when someone is trying to claim, get his own property, and he says, but I bought it, there's less reason to believe that he bought it uh, because he has personal financial benefit. So that's what we need the first one to teach that. Yes, we believe him in that case as well. Okay, now how about yet? Now we know why we need the first two. But why do we need the third about I was married, but then I was divorced? We had only the first two. Those are both involved monetary cases, those are less significant. But uh, if someone is, in fact, a married woman and then she claims divorce and we believe her and she remarries. Uh, then we're getting into problems of uh, prohibited relations, which is a lot more stringent. So I might think that we were not, we would not rely on a pesha sadhu a peshitir in isurim. So I need the third case to teach me. Yes, I do. Nishbeti Torah ani lamali. Now the fourth case of a woman who says I was captive, but I was not violated, so I can marry a kohen. Why do we need that? That's uh, not as. Um, Problematic as eshet ish. Mishum de kaba ed mitne, veime mishaniset bao edim, are zo lotese. Or because we need to apply the leniency that came right after that case. That if witnesses, they, well, women come and says, I was taken captive, but I uh, was not violated. So we believe her because of pesh. Now, after she gets married, then witnesses come and say, oh, we testify that she was taken captive. So thereby detracting her hapesh asad. And so the law is, she doesn't have to, she can remain married. We're, we're lenient. So I had to teach that leniency. That's why I needed the fourth case. Wait a second. That would make sense according to, yesterday we had a, we had a machloket, but Abba Abin said it applies only to the fourth case. 
Fine, so I need the fourth case, so you can tell me the leniency about the for that case. But we had Rabbi Oshaya said it applies to the third and fourth case. So since it applies to the third case, and all the more so the fourth case, I could have just had the third case and taught me that rule. Why do I need the fourth one? The answer is, Mishum nashim You're right. Really, the fourth one is not necessary. The one taken captive, I could have learned the same principles from the married case, but divorced. But the reason is, it's here is just as a literary uh, uh, reason to be a transition to introduce the next case of two women taken captive. So before you say talk about two women taken captive, let me tell you about one woman taken captive. Um, so that's why it's there. Um, okay, good. Um, now, why do I need that case of two women that testify by each, about each other? That they would be believed. As long as if one person says, even without a pesha case, this is even if there's witnesses that were there, if one uh, uh, woman A says that woman B was not violated, woman B says that woman A was not violated, we might think that maybe they're in collusion. This is I'll testify for you and you test if you testify for me. So therefore, the Mishnah comes to teach that we don't worry about that. We do believe both of them. So now I know that. Why do I need the last case of two men? I needed to say that because it has to tell me that Rabbi Uda disagrees and does not believe one witness. And the other rabbis there uh, that, uh, that do. Uh, so therefore, um, we needed to introduce that case to teach us the machloket. All right, fantastic. This is a nice gemara that you see that they're analyzing the flow and structure of the Mishnayot, which is always important to do. Okay, now we have a b'raita that expands on our Mishnah. Tanur banan, ani kohen v'chaberi kohen. Neeman achilo bitru ma'aveno neeman asio isha. Ahachi yehu shelosha shenai me'edin alze ushenai me'edin alze. Someone says, I am a Kohen and my friend is also a Kohen. Good. So he's believed for teruma. Um, uh, that's sufficient. Um, but not for uh, to, to marry, not, but not to marry a, a, a woman. Um, as if he's, uh, if we don't know what his status is, is he, um, is he uh, of good lineage, mamzer, halal? And so we're not going to, it's not sufficient to believe him for that. You need two witnesses in that case. So how could you have two witnesses? How could you have two witnesses if there are two people we need to testify about? Well, then you need three people altogether, and two of them will testify about one, and then uh, two others, there'll be one in common who's uh, not involved, but two others will testify about the other, and so you need three people at least, so you could have two people testifying about each. So you need that in terms of marriage laws, but for Tiruma it's sufficient to have just one. Okay, that's, the, that's Tanakama. Rabbanan. says, Mormachmir, no, he's not believed not even for even for Tiruma. So you see the Biuda matches up with the Biuda in the Mishnah, who also said, No, we don't um uh, assume someone is a Kohen based on one witness. And so here we in this this Braita, he applies that for Tiruma as well, that we do not believe the person.
Okay, so now what is the essence of the makhluk between Rabbanan and Rabbi Yudah? Come Rabbi Yudah is more machmir. We're going to see two explanations. The first one's more complex. The second one's going to be easier. So the first one says, So perhaps the difference is, do we worry about collusion? Rabbi Yudah says, the problem here is that um, one is saying, me and my friend are uh, are kosher, and the other one's going to say that too, and so maybe they're colluding with each other, and that's the reason, and that's the, that's so we can't believe them. Uh, whereas Tanakama said, no, it's fine, that's good enough for Teruma. So is that what they're talking about? The problem is there is a Mishnah that says the opposite, it's none. The case is two uh, donkey drivers come into a city and they're merchants, they're traveling merchants, and one of them says, My produce is hadash, meaning it's prohibited. You can buy it, but it's not kosher. You're going to have to wait till next year to eat it. But my friend here, he his is Yashan, so buy from him. Which is a little strange, suspicious, that he's saying, you know, don't buy from me, buy from the other guy. Or if he says, my produce, I didn't take Maaser from it, you have to take Maaser. But my friend here, he already took Maaser from it, so that's better. All right, you're going to pay, you know, 10% more for the one that you have to take Maaser for. Uh, also suspicious, Enone Eman. So he's not believed because we assume collusion. Here's what they do. They go to one city, he says, okay, in this city, uh, you'll be the one to sell. I'll sell, I'll tell everyone to go to you. In the next city, they switch roles, and that one says, oh no, his is kosher. His is Yashan or Mitukan. And that way, every city, they'll make money because each one will testify about the other. So since they're in collusion, we cannot believe them. That's, that's Rabbanan. Rabbi Yudah Omer, Ne'eman, Rabbi Yudah says, it is fine. So you see, according to this Mishnah, Rabbi Yudah is the one that's lenient, and Rabbanan are the one that suspect collusion. So how are we going to resolve this? So maybe switch them around. Switch them around in which one? Well, we don't want to switch around the Mishnah here. Better to switch around the Baraita. Okay, so maybe we're going to switch around the pins in the Baraita. Um, no, you don't have to do such a drastic measure and switch them around. After we're talking about Demai, this, this Mishnah was in Masechet Demai. And uh, with Demai, we, the rabbis are lenient because most Amaharits do take Maaser. So probably it's fine. We just want to go be extra Machmir. So we say, you know what, if you buy from, uh, from uh, 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 Amaharits, then you better take Maaser said yourself and therefore if there's any testimony at all um, so Rabbanan are explaining in other words Rabbanan in the case uh, um, uh, no Rabbi Yudah, rather this is explaining Rabbi Yudah. Rabbi Yudah, in the case of uh, Kehuna there we have to be a Machmir but in the case of Demai since it's probably Mitukan anyway and so therefore if one is testifying about the other we can be lenient and not worry about collusion even though regarding Kohen we do worry about collusion so we explained the contradiction according to Rabbi Yudah. Good. Rava says you only answered tells Abaye you only answered half the question you explained how Rabbi Yudah could be consistent but you didn't explain how Rabbanan are consistent with with each other how come they are machmir and suspect collusion regarding 
regarding the produce, but they're okay regarding people testifying about each other that they are Kohanim. So, Eladavaz going to fix that. You had a good answer to explain the Biuda's contradiction. I can use an answer that was said elsewhere by Rabbi Hamabar Ukva, who said, when someone has tools of trade in his hand, then it's evident that he's there to sell. I'm going to apply that here also, uh, that since they have the tools of trade in their hand, obviously they're going to sell. This is talking about the donkey drivers. The donkey drivers are obviously here to sell their wares. Therefore, we have to be suspicious. Um, and say that the only reason why uh, they are saying, oh, buy from him, uh, and then the next city they'll say, buy from the other guy, is because they want to sell their merchandise. When you say uh, tools of trade in his hand, uh, you know, nowadays you put up a sign and say, uh, uh, you know, a, a grain for sale. Uh, but in those days, they wouldn't uh, have, have signs hanging over their stores. Instead, a person would walk around with tools of his trade, right? Whatever the trade was. If he's a scribe, he'd walk around with the quill. So uh, the point is that they're advertising that they are selling. Since they're advertising and selling, we have to be suspicious that they're lying in order to sell more goods. That's the problem. And so therefore, the banans assume collusion in this case. In the case of uh, being a Kohen, they're not selling anything. So there's less reason to uh, be suspicious in that case. We do believe the witnesses testifying about each other. Good. So we have exa- we have answers for each one. That you mentioned the statement, what, what was the original context that Rabbi Chama said it? This is Mishnah in Masechet Teharot. That talking about a potter. So he has lots of pots that he's making and he goes to wash. Now, the, 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 the potter, we can assume, is a chaver. He's very careful, so every, anyone who buys from him knows that the pots are already tahor. It's really important because pots, especially if you were on your way to Yerushalayim, would be used for uh, korbanot. So he goes down to the river to drink something. Um, the words maimina are not in the other original, and they're not in the Mishnah, but they are here. So it's like a slightly different version of the Mishnah. Anyway, the problem is that he wasn't watching them while he went down to drink. So should we worry that maybe in the meantime, someone came and touched the, who was Tameh and touched the pots? So the Mishnah rules that the ones that are and towards the inside uh, where he was, uh, those are fine. The ones towards the outside, meaning towards where the people pass by, those are going to be temeot. We have to worry that they people pass by. That's the Mishnah. Now, he didn't say this yet. We have another Baraita that is different from the Mishnah. It says all the pots are temeot. So what's the contradiction? How do we explain that? Here it is. This is the original context where to be Hamabat Ukva said that the potter is holding his pottery tools uh, as an advertisement. He does not making them necessarily right now, but he holds some kind of uh, widget that he uses to make the pots, and by holding it or putting it uh, in his ear. 
uh, or on his clothing, wherever he holds it, um, that uh, that is advertising that uh, these are for sale. Because they are for sale, the people passing by are going to come check them out, and they're going to touch the pot. Let's see the quality, let's see the thickness, and everybody's going to touch them. Most people are Tameh, so we assume that a Tameh person touched all the pots, and therefore they're all Tameh. Whereas the Mishnah was talking, not talking about a case where he's holding his advertising tools, and therefore the people are not all not going to touch all of them. All right, that explains that, but we already saw the source of Rabbi Hamad's statement, but we're going to continue with that whole discussion. We have another Braita that says, all the pots are Tehorot. Why is that? Rabbi Hamad uh, same sage explaining this too. That's when he does not have his potter's uh, tools with him, and so they're not for sale. People say, oh, I guess these are his private pots, so then no one's going to touch his private pots, so they're all tahor. Oh, hold on. But how do you reconcile this baraita with the Mishnah? If both of them are when he's not holding his tools, uh, then no one will touch them. Why does the Mishnah say that the outer ones are Temeot? We're talking about a case where the outer layer is adjacent to the public domain as follows. Like this is a public domain here and uh, they, people in old in those ancient roads, they put posts like we do today today to stop terrorist uh, cars. Um, but they would put posts so that the, uh, the 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 wagons and the, and the animals will not go and brush up against the walls of the people's homes or stores. So if he has these pots and he puts the pots right near uh, the posts, uh, so then and then he goes and drinks and he has another layer behind it. So the ones that are in the front layer, we uh, suspect that the people passing by will brush up brush up against them and touch them and cause make them tameh. Uh, whereas the ones behind um, are therefore okay. That's what the Mishnah is talking about, whereas the Braita was talking about a case where they were not near the Shutarabim. They were all the way off to the side, and if they were not for sale, they're all Tahor. If they were for sale they're, and he wasn't watching, then they're all Tameh. All right, good. So, uh, uh, end of that tangent, and uh, back to um, more questions about assuming someone is a Kohen. The question is, if uh, someone's name is written in a contract, and it says, right, Mr. So-and-so, Ha-Kohen. So can we use that to say, see, there's proof, he's a Kohen, it's in a contract. So what's the case? If he's the witness and he says, I am, right? Ruben ben Shimon, HaKohen, a witness. Well, that's Jesus testifying about himself. Who's testifying about him? So that's no good. A person can't testify about himself that he's a Kohen. Rather, must be a case where, within the document, the Kohen is one of the litigants. Uh, well, they didn't sue each other. Is one of the parties in the contract. And uh, so he says here, I, Mr. So-and-so, the Kohen, I um, borrowed money from this other guy. And two witnesses sign the document. So can we assume those signatures are certifying that he's really a Kohen? Maybe the witnesses are only focusing on the content of the loan. 
so yes, we did in fact see he gave him a hundred dollars. That's what we're testifying to. But they're not paying attention to the details of the uh, name. I mean, they have to look at the names because they have to verify that this person gave it to that person. So it has to be the right person. Um, but they're, they're, they're not focusing attention on the appellation that he's a Kohen or not. Or since they're signing a contract, they are testifying about every single detail in the contract, all the words. That's they're, they're responsible. I mean, they're, they're, that's their testimony. And therefore, we can assume that uh, when they said, Kohen, wait a second, is that true? You're a Kohen? Before I sign this, you've got to prove it to me. So he would have to know that he's a Kohen. Um, and therefore, he would. we could use this as testimony. So the answer is, uh, So these two colleagues, we don't, we don't doesn't say who said which, but one of them says, yes, we can use this as testimony. And they can go eat to Ruma. One says, no, it's not sufficient. The witnesses are not paying attention to the fact that says the Kohen. A second question. How about someone does Birkat Kohanim? So we see them in, uh, in Bet Knesset. They did Birkat Kohanim. Oh, I guess that person is a Kohen. And therefore, allow them to, uh, to, to marry and to eat to and other laws of Kohanim also. Before we answer this question, we want to explore it according to a different machloket. Uh, so let's ask the question according to the opinion that says you can, if, if, if someone's eating tiruma, you can assume that they are kosher in lineage also. If someone's eating tiruma, that means they're a kohen, and therefore they're of kosher lineage. They go together. Being a, If you're, someone's a kohen, then obviously they're not a mamzer, because if they were mamzer, they lose their status for kihuna. So one, one, there is one opinion that says, yes, you can assume that. But there's another opinion that says, they might be eating tiruma, that's fine, because see, that's a lower level of, uh, of required testimony for that. But just because we're going to give them tiruma doesn't mean that we're going to assume that they are kosher lineage unless they bring further proof. That, that's a machlok, a separate machloket. So let's see how that machloket would apply to this one here, this question here about whether one can assume one is of proper lineage if they are going up and doing birkat kohanim. So as follows. According, let's ask the question according to the one who says that if uh, someone is eating tiruma, then they are of good lineage. Well, maybe that's only because tiruma is a severe law. That if someone who is not a Kohen eats Tiruma, then they get a punishment of death in the hands of heaven. So no one's going to do that unless they're really a Kohen. So there's more reason to assume that, yes, if they're eating Tiruma, then probably really a Kohen and have good lineage. But if someone's going and doing Birkat Kohanim, there is a, that's a violation only of, uh, of an Aseh, right? It says, Kotabarichu Amolehem, you, Kohanim, you should bless. That means, the Kohanim have a right to bless, and other people, if I feel like it, just, I'm um, not a Kohen, if I feel like it, hey, you know what, that looks like fun, I'm going to go do Burkat Kohanim, not allowed, but it's only a violation of an Aseh, which is a lower level. So there, maybe someone likes that, and they're going to want to have that honor, they'll violate this Aseh, and do Burkat Kohanim, even though they're not a Kohen, so it's more likely that they will lie, um, and do Burkat Kohanim, and therefore, uh, they, uh, um, uh, so therefore, according to the one who says you can, if they're a 
if they eat turuma, they're a good lineage, but maybe, but for this, they would say maybe not, if they're only doing berkat kohanim, or maybe it's the same, and if they're doing one, turuma or berkat kohanim, then we would assume that they are of good lineage, and it's the same thing, because both of them, they wouldn't do, they wouldn't violate naseh if it wasn't true either. That's one uh, side of it. Uh, well, let's ask the question according to the other opinion. One who says, if even if someone's eating turuma, we don't assume that they are of good lineage because they may be sinning and it's in private. So they would sin in private. But that's in public. And if, he's, if he knows he's not really not a Kohen, he's not going to be so insolent as to go right up to the stage and do Berkat Konim when he has he knows perfectly well he's not a Kohen. So therefore, the opposite, even if you don't use Tirumah as evidence that they're of lineage, maybe you would use saying Berkat Konim as evidence of good lineage. Or maybe you say, no, no, it's the same thing. And both of them, we would not uh, uh, per, uh, assume that the person of, is of good lineage. Okay, now that we uh, explored the question, the answer is doesn't say who is who, but one says we can assume that is proof of lineage, and one says no. Uh, what, what is the law about this? Okay, good answer. He's pressing him further. What's the halacha? He says, I have a b'raita by which I can prove uh, an answer. So now we're going to read a long b'raita and discussion uh, that will take us to the end. And from here, we'll be able to uh, derive an answer to the question of if someone's doing Birkat Kohanim, is that sufficient to, to uh, assume that they are of good lineage? From this b'raita, we're going to prove that not so. So the Tanya, Rabbi Yose Omer, Gedola Hazakashan Emar, Webne Kohanim, Bene Hovaya, Bene Kos, Bene Barzilai, Ashela Kahme Benot Barzilai Gil Adi Isha, Vaikere, Vaikere Al Shemam, Pasol Pasuk in Azra, where there were people that were uh, many, Azra finds many people are, are marrying non Jews. And so it's a big problem. So he has to check, have to check everybody's lineage. So it uh, says here that there were some Kohanim, men, and they were marrying into this family, Benot Barzilai. And they looked for their rust register of genealogy. They had registers of everybody who their parents and grandparents were. Ezra uh, Nehemiah were very particular to make sure everybody had proper lineage, but they couldn't find the records. They didn't find that there's, that they're bad. They didn't find that they're good. They just couldn't find the records at all. And because of that, they were uh, go'alu. They were put away from being kohanim. Now, so we said, uh, you, and I know you said you're a kohen, you're from a family kohen, but we cannot assume you're a kohen, and therefore, we your lineage is suspect. And therefore, the officer there, the rabbis associated with this with Nehemiah himself, uh, says, you guys, you cannot eat from sacrificial meat until the Kohen will determine your status through the Urim Vetumim. 
Um, but that isn't going to work either because Odim Tumim were uh, uh, law gone um, at the end of the first Bet HaMikdash and never found again. And here we're talking about the beginning of the second Bet HaMikdash, meaning uh, that until uh, until uh, uh, Mashiach comes, we don't know what your status is, so you cannot eat of sacrifices. That's the Pesukim. Now let's see. Amar lehem, hare atem bechezkatchem. So Rabbi Yosei explains... Uh, Rabbi says, uh, quotes the pasuk and explains that that Hatir um, Shata uh, tell, tells them you remain in your hazaka, your status quo. Whatever you're doing before, you can continue in Bavel. You can continue to do now. You were getting Aliyat Kohen. You can still get Aliyat Kohen. But now you come to Israel, and we have the Bet Hamikdash now. You can't eat sacrifices. You weren't doing that before because you were in Bavel. When you were in Bavel, you were eating teruma. So fine, you can continue eating teruma. That's okay. But, but, but you cannot eat of sacrificial meat. Teruma is okay, not korbanot. Now, that's what he said. Now we're going to analyze. Now, if you would think, based on the machloket above, that if someone is uh, is doing berkat koanim, then you can assume they're of good lineage. These people, they're doing berkat koanim, right? They knew, they thought they were koanim in Bavel. They were doing berkat koanim, and therefore, if you thought that it was possible, then they. They wouldn't have. They wouldn't need to go and look up the register and find it. They go, "Oh, you doing berkat koanim? All right, good. Then you can marry." But they don't do that. So, from the fact that they don't do that here, we can find. We can answer the question that the halacha is like the opinion that says berkat koanim is not sufficient grounds to assume that someone is a proper lineage. Okay, so that is uh, that's the proof that Rava brings uh, from this uh, baraita. And, um, right. So, uh, okay. Seems like a pretty good proof. But then we say, no, maybe not. Maybe here is different because their chazaka is undermined. Because there were so many people, including Kohanim, who were intermarrying. <clears throat> so we have to actually be suspicious of, of, uh, of these Kohanim until they, until they bring a proof. Whereas in a regular case, not talking about people moving and that time of Ezanechemia with a Somos intermarriage, just a regular case in a different time, we can, then we can assume the presumptive, presumptive status. And so maybe that's why we didn't believe them there. But in another case, maybe if they're doing because Kohanim, it would be okay to uh, allow them to um, uh, the, assume that they have, they have proper lineage. And in fact, this seems to be true. And this makes sense because after all, if you don't say that, what about the other opinion that we just saw? It says if, if someone's eating teruma, we can assume that they have proper lineage. So these people were eating teruma, right? It said that in the Baraita itself, that they were eating teruma and bavel, and therefore, just based on that, they would be able to have proper lineage. Um, so, rather, the reason why we do not assume that, according to opinion, that normally we would, uh, we would uh, analogize and say, if you're eating to the ma, then you can, then your lineage is good. But here, 
there, that even that opinion would not apply it because there's a negative that so many people were intermarried and so many people are no good. And so we're going to apply that here also. The reason why I said we need your records, even though they're doing Birkat Kohanim, is that although it could very well be that in general, Birkat Kohanim is good enough proof of, of good lineage, but here uh, there, was a, uh, there was a problem of the status quo, and therefore there's actually no proof from here uh, in either direction. Uh, we'll see more about this uh, Hazaka tomorrow. Baruch Adonai Le'olam. Amen ve'amen.